0: Welcome to Planet Geo, the podcast where we talk about our amazing planet, how it works, and why it matters to you. What you're about to hear is part one of our interview with Professor Richard Alley. Richard Alley is a member of my department here in Penn State University. He's a senior member in our department. He's an extremely prolific researcher, educator, and a very famous professor at Penn State. He's in the National Academy of Sciences. He is the Evan Pugh University professor. He has won Penn State's Top Teaching Award. And as you will hear in this interview, those are all very well-deserved. So this is part one where we're talking about science communication, really, with Professor Richard Alley. Tune in next week to part two, where we will get into some really interesting aspects of glaciers and dive deeper into Richard's research topics. You can support us by visiting our website. Go to planetgeocast.com backslash support us and you will find a page there where you can help support Planet Geo and you can find all sorts of other information about who we are, what we're doing here, and past episodes. So visit our website planetgeocast.com or find us on all the social medias at Planet Geocast or send us an email planetgeocast at gmail.com. We hope you enjoy part one of our interview with Professor Richard Alley. Enjoy. Okay, so we're going to shift gears here a little bit and talk about um, media, (laughs) I guess, in communicating science. Because as I said before in the intro, you're an amazing teacher, uh, award-winning in all venues at Penn State. But you've also been in the the media space a little bit too. You have an IMDB page, which I don't know if I know of another (laughs) geoscientist who has an IMDB page. And so you've done a lot of stuff. And I think I kind of want to know... What's your favorite? Which one are you most proud of? I don't know if those are the same question or not, but you've communicated science and your science to a lot of different people, including the Senate and vice presidents. I don't know. What are you most proud of in this space?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it has been very fun. It has been been a, a wonderful opportunity for me, and I've learned so much. I probably learned the most going to Greenland for a long weekend with 10% of the Senate. And I I tell this story over and over and over again, that when they closed the door on the plane and we headed for Greenland, those 10 senators were among the most interesting and interested people I've met. They, they know a lot. They know how the world works. They want fairly well-focused answers. And I might natter on a little too much, but but they were just wonderful people. But when the door opened, they're sort of on script if the press is there. And partially, I think that's because there's no one is so smart that they can in real time ad lib anything in a way that they are confident that their words won't be misused. Because if you say a million words as a senator and 10 of them are wrong. Those 10 will be on the television uh, every 20 minutes until the election. So this is a very hard thing to do. And then there's the I have to think politics. I have to think what my side is saying, what I've said in the past. So they tend to quit being really smart, really interested people looking for solutions, and they become people who are back on script. And I think it's completely understandable. But
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's actually I find that kind of heartening, actually, because um, I've never known anybody in politics or really met anybody in politics. But I find that heartening that actually behind closed doors, there is solution finding and, and you know, intelligent nuanced stuff happening because it's not just what you see on Twitter, right? Like, it's not just what somebody's it's saying not. on Twitter that is actually their thoughts being projected onto Twitter. Right. Yeah, I find that in- in heartening, right. I guess. Yeah. So that
1: was my, my best education, I think. My my most fun was doing the PBS miniseries. So and that is had,
0: the had, had Earth the Operators Manual Earth, is that the Operators Manual? Yes. Yeah, give us the, the yeah. g- how to give us the backstory behind that and, and the pitch, I guess, or, or sort of a short summary right. and where to find it, where people so, can find it too.
1: So so backstory. I worked a little bit with a fellow named Jeff Hainstiles uh, and married to Erna Kuganau. Uh, Jeff did the original Cosmos with Carl Sagan. He is a remarkable, that there, as a pair, those two are just a remarkable team. We were doing something else and he said, why don't we do a, a big project and write a book and we'll get some funding and we'll do a big project. And we worked very heavily on this being solutions oriented as well as problems oriented. So if we, we humans don't deal with climate, we face big problems if we do deal with climate. We have these huge, wonderful opportunities to just do great things. And there's a lot of climate problems, and I talk through them and how we know when all of this. But the solution space in that just blows me away. And they they found some really great people to talk to. So the section on the Texas ranchers who saved the ranch and they saved the town and they saved the high school because they put in wind energy. And you put 5% of the ranch into roads and and towers and what have you, and 95% of the ranch is ranch, but the the wind pays better than the ranch does. And they call it mailbox money because you go out the mailbox and you get money out of it. We talked to Marines in the Afghan and Iraq wars, uh, half or more of the casualties were on fuel convoys, convoys carrying fuel and water. A marine base knows how to protect themselves. They're good at it. But if you have to drive fuel across a country where people can plant improvised explosive devices, it becomes very, very dangerous. So every time you installed renewable energy in the forward base, you saved lives. Hmm. And it's that simple. I mean, it really is. And so the the solution space was what was was really fun there. And we just had a ball doing that. And they came up with just some wonderful thing. I got to go bungee jumping.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's cool oh man! <laughs> it
1: was cool and we're we're filming in caves and then floating out of the cave in in inner tubes and it was so we had a had a lot of fun doing very interesting things with that. It is now available if you look for my name and earth the operator's manual on YouTube, they're all up there
0: that i mean that is very very cool. How does one so you know in the, the vein of you are career aspirational <laughs> for me? how do you get this gig? I mean, that's what I'm after. Like, how do you, what do I got to do to do this? Part two or something.
1: I I wish I knew. Uh, Mine was very fortunate because it was, I had gotten just enough, you know, appearances that I got asked to be part of this polar palooza that Jeff Hane Styles was doing. And then he said, well, let's do this. We sort of hit it off. And so he said, let's do this. But, you know, we've had other things that we've, gotten to do here. I helped teach a a large course called Geology of the National Parks. And for that one, when we decided to put it together and put it online, the way we did it, we got a little support from our college, the College of Earth and Mineral Sciences at Penn State. And we got a cause class and the Center for Advanced Undergraduate Studies and Experiences. And we recruited a dozen advanced students. And we got our local PBS affiliate, WPSU, sent over really good people, Tom Kider and others, who taught them how to film. And then we took them to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And they filmed what they were seeing. And we went to Mesa Verde and Arches and Capitol Reef. And and then they filmed and the the students made little film clips as part of their experience. And then we wrapped it. Course around those. WPSU won a regional Emmy for the film showing Whoa. what the students were doing at the really? parks. So cool.
0: So you know there are there are
1: ways. Yeah. That yeah. was yeah. a Complete hit.
0: Jesse. I can answer this question too. Okay, you have to be a very dynamic speaker. You have to like be a top-notch <laughs> researcher. You have to be extremely smart and personable. So you have no shot. That's <laughs> true. Right? I know. And, I, know, and, I, know, I know. know. This is just not. There's, gonna... there's no way. No, there's, no, there's no. 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 Jesse. <laughs> You guys would be no great
1: way. on the field, you know. And the truth is, you too would be great. You know, when you get a camera and, and head off for the no cameras the Black
0: Hills, we got Chris. Here. We can't have cameras around. <laughs> I, I mean, so Chris, so, Chris, can, can I go? I can tell you're ready to go, Chris. I can see your the veins coming out of your forehead. You're itching to go right now. Yeah, go, cut go, well, go loose, man. So I want to go back to a question, real quick, Richard. That when you took ten senators to Greenland. Was that a committee? Did it span political parties? What did that look like? Just real quick.
1: Yeah, it was bipartisan. You could probably find some record of it in in the senatorial records. It was called Codel Boxer, C-O-D-E-L, Codel. And then um, Senator Boxer from California was the chair. We had Senator Mikulski, uh, Senator Corker um senator klobuchar um Senator Sanders a oh, very very uh Senator White House from Rhode Island is married to a marine biologist who's very very good um it was so sort of bipartisan it was just absolutely fascinating and we're we're flying up this this is true if you go up, we were flying along the front of the the calving cliff of Yaobsaven glacier, and this thing is What you can see sitting above the water is the equivalent of a 30-story high building. So, you know, it's 100 meters, so 330 feet. What's below is, you know, nine times that. So it's a really big cliff. And when you fly along there in the helicopter, there are cracks that are 10 stories high in the front of this thing. And occasionally it breaks off. And when it breaks off, it makes an earthquake that we can hear in the dike building. And it Penn state because it's a, a magnitude five plus earthquake and the pilot actually this is this is through the pilot says how close do you want me to get it's <laughs> <laughs> 10 story cracked if you went yeah, downtown s- snuggle and snuggle up sp-
0: nice and tight to that
1: right I said great. these are senators <laughs> you better move it out of little
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> boy did I want to tell to move it in yeah, I know <laughs> yeah, I would have uh, that's right oh man Rich is like fly right up one of those things and all the senators uh, like yes. no, no, yeah. no no no, 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 no. <laughs> sidle
0: right up onto that that's that's amazing. awesome Hey, that's a wrap for this week. Join us next week for part two with Professor Richard Alley. As always, you can follow us on all the social medias. We are at Planet Geocast. Send us an email, planetgeocast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, planetgeocast.com, and there you can support us. There's a support us tab there, and you can learn about us and what we do and see past episodes. As usual, share Planet Geo with somebody you think might enjoy it. Take care.